Father, we want to come because we know that you are a faithful God, the God who loves us with an everlasting love in a way that we can't even understand, we can't even fathom, and we certainly can't duplicate. And we uh, thank you, Father, for your power. And we thank you that you are willing to use your power on behalf of your people and that your power is going to guarantee that every promise that you have ever made in the Word of God will be fulfilled. Every prophecy will be fulfilled. Everything will be brought to its culmination just as you have said. And you are God Almighty indeed. And our faith is in you. Our hope is in you. Our trust is in you. And we rest in you today. And we uh, think about the world. In the world we find tribulation, but we were promised that. But then we find the wonderful promise. Jesus said, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And so uh, it's just a matter of time. But in the meantime, let us trust you. Let us walk with you. And let us claim your promises and stand on your promises. Bless our people. Bless people in, in marriages. Bless people that are parenting Bless people that are running their own businesses and trying to make a go of it in this time of inflation. Bless people who are working in a job that they really don't enjoy anymore or working for somebody who is not easy to work for and all of the things that come our way. Bless our children who are in schools that are teaching them things that are confusing and things that go against what their parents have taught them. And we pray, Father, that in a a land where... We uh, look around and we are calling evil good and we are calling good evil and we are calling light darkness and darkness light. Oh, Father, the only answer is Jesus Christ and you're the only hope America has. And today there are thousands and thousands of churches gathering right as we are. And we want to pray, Lord, that you would not only bless us but bless them as well and that from the north, to the south, to the east, and the west. The name of the Lord might be praised, that renewal and awakening might break out, and that there might be a a great awakening in our land once again, and not only here, but all around the world. We think about people who are gathered today, and they're gathering under threat of their life, or jail, or some, some kind of persecution. And we pray for them. They're our brothers and sisters in the Lord. And they're precious in your sight. Help them, Lord, and bless them. And we want to pray, Father, that you would also minister to us in our own personal way, in our personal need. And we pray that you would be glorified. You would answer our questions. We pray that you would strengthen our faith. We pray that you would build us up in the Lord. And we pray that it would all be to the glory of your name and the spread of the gospel all around the world. And so we pray this as we open up your word and as we look into it. Give us insight. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, minds to comprehend. But give us especially hearts that are willing to obey. And this we pray ready to receive a word from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's uh, turn in our Bibles now to uh, 1 Thessalonians, and we're in that uh, fifth chapter. And uh, we want to uh, take a look at a promise. Well, it refers to a promise. It's not written as a promise, but it is uh, Paul's prayer. And it's based upon the promises of God. Thinking about uh, when a 
young man wants to marry a young woman, he proposes to her, and then it's traditional that he gives her an engagement ring, and the engagement ring is his promise, saying, I'm giving you my word that I will marry you and I will do what I promise to do. Uh, did you know that's biblical? In the uh, Bible, the Holy Spirit is called the earnest of our inheritance. And in a sense, we could look at that as when you got saved, the Lord Jesus Christ, your bridegroom, gave you an engagement ring, and your engagement ring is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the promise that Jesus will do everything that he has said he will do, and he will do it in your life, and he'll do it in, in everything. It also, when it says it's the earnest of our inheritance, if you've ever bought a house or a piece of property, and maybe you told your realtor, this is the place we'd like to buy, and your realtor said, okay, we'll need $1,000 or something like that of earnest money. You know what earnest money means? Earnest money is like the engagement ring. It is you telling the seller, I promise I'm going to get this contract fulfilled or you keep the money. And when the Bible says the Holy Spirit is the earnest of our inheritance, it's uh, not only like Jesus gave you an engagement ring, a promise ring uh, of what he's going to do, but he also put earnest money down saying, I am going to fulfill everything that I have promised in you. Now, when we think about that, our minds go to the different things about the second coming and the tribulation and the millennium and heaven and those kind of things. They're all included in that. But there are also some other things that the Lord has promised to do and the Lord promises, uh, or Paul prays about this in the very last part of chapter 5. Okay? And... Um, this is uh, verses 23 and 24, specifically of chapter 5. And he breaks into a little prayer here. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now that's what we all want, isn't it? We want everything to be done. We want to grow in the Lord. We want to grow in our holiness and our walk with the Lord. And we want to be ready for death or for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, how do I know I'm going to get there? Well, Paul adds one more verse. He who calls you is faithful who also will do it. Can anyone say amen to that? I can't. I fail. I make promises to God that I forget about so easily I stray from them you do too and there are times when we make commitments oh God I promise I'm never going to do this again famous last words we look at things and we say to the Lord well uh, if you give me the opportunity I'm going to witness to this person but that opportunity comes but we're not faithful to what we promise to the Lord. Lord, if you were ever to give me this type of income, I'll give this much to the work of the Lord. And then it comes and it goes and we forget about those kind of things. I mean, on and on and on we could go. And all of those things are just a reminder. We are human. We are sinful. We are inadequate. We still fall short of the glory of God. We're shameful. 
And uh, yet God is always faithful and he's faithful to each one of us. And his faithfulness is not based upon our performance. If you do good, you know, like Santa Claus, if you're a good boy or a good girl, you'll get the the goodies, you'll get the present. Uh, God says, my promise to you is based upon me. And it's based upon what Christ has done for us. And that is sufficient. And so the Lord is telling the Thessalonians through the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that this is what I'm praying and this is what's going to happen not because of you and not because you're disciplined, not because you are faithful, not because you always get it right. It's not based on you. It's not based on Paul. It's not going to happen simply because Paul said it was going to happen. It happens because God is faithful. Now, One of the things that we always want to do whenever we look at the Bible is we want to quit rushing to make it all about us. What am I going to get out of this? What am I supposed to do with this? What does this have to do with me? And what does this have to do with my life? The Bible's more than an owner's manual. The Bible's more than just a a to-do list or something like that. The Bible's more than just a, a love letter written to you. I mean, it is that, but it's much more than that. The Bible is about God, and the Bible reveals God, who He is, His power, His nature. The Bible reveals to us His faithfulness. The Bible gives to us His purpose and His plan, and it shows us how He's going to carry all of that out. And if we rush to make it about, what should I do, what should I do, and and how does this speak to me, we miss the point, the grand and glorious thing about our wonderful Lord and Savior. And that's what Paul doesn't want us to miss. And so the theme of these verses you find in here, we might want to say, well, it's sanctification. Every believer ought to grow in the Lord. I would agree with that, but that's not the theme. The theme is, may God himself. This is the work of God. The theme is, in that last verse, he who is faithful will do it. This is about the work of God, and that's why I've entitled this The Promise. I think for a long time in my Christian life, I had the idea that getting saved, that was something only God could do, but now it's up to me to be sanctified. I've got to grow, and I've got to get rid of sin, and I've got to make all of this kind of stuff happen. But Paul kind of refutes that. Because that uh, makes me maybe a little bit arrogant. Because if I've overcome a sin that you haven't, then what does that do for me? It might puff me up a little bit. It might make me the kind of uh, person that I would look down on you. Of course, I wouldn't do that, but might. It makes me the kind of person that says, Oh, Lord, I thank you that I am not as other men are. Uh Uh-oh. That reminds me of a story of a Pharisee and a publican who were in the temple. And the Pharisee said, I thank you that I'm not as other men are, even as this tax collector. And then he begins to recite a list of all of his works of righteousness. You know what the tax collector did? He just said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said these astounding words. One man went home justified and the other one didn't. You know why? Because the Pharisee was trusting in what he had done. And the tax collector didn't have anything to brag about at all. And he's the one that ends up right with God. And I got to thinking about it. 
if salvation is up to God, then according to what I read in the scripture, so is my sanctification. You'll notice here that Paul gives us the first point that we have right there in that verse that we read. The first thing we want to know this morning and get is that sanctification is humanly impossible. You cannot sanctify yourself. You have to be made holy by God. You cannot make yourself holy. You're a sinner. You're touched by sin. Everything you do is contaminated by sin. You need something outside of you to make you right. And so when you are saved, or justification we call it, that's when God takes away the penalty of your sin. But now that you're a child of God, His Spirit is working in you. You are spiritually alive now. You have the power of God in your heart. And He begins teaching you how to be free from the penalty of sin. But there again, He is the one who does it. He loves you. He instructs you. He disciplines you. He corrects you. He changes your path. He limits your path. The steps of the righteous are ordered of God. He hymns you in. He, like Job said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. This is just what life is like. You go through the valley of the shadow of death, but the emphasis there in Psalm 23 is not on the valley of the shadow of death. It's on the presence of the Lord. I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So it's all about God in anything you go through, through your mountaintops, through your valleys, through the good times, through the bad times. It's all about the Lord, and it's about what He is doing because of who He is. So it's not humanly possible, and that's why Paul prays, now may the God of peace Himself... This is not something that God just wishes for. It's not some, just something He puts into motion. You know, there are people that believe that God created the earth and then He just spun it like a top and then walked away waiting for it to wind down and uh, then He'll do something. But the Bible teaches something more than that. He is involved in everything, even in this world. In fact, the Bible says He not only created this world, but this world is held together by Him. He is actively involved in all the forces of nature. There's no Mother Nature. It's Father God who is in control of the weather. And all of this stuff is held together by Him. And in the same way, He didn't just save you and say, Okay, do your best. Hope you get it right, or you'll suffer the consequences. He is the one that is with us in all of this. And He Himself, He personally takes your sanctification, your holiness, your spiritual growth after you're saved. He personally is involved in all of that. And so the steps of the righteous being ordered of God, we know that. And He has a purpose in all of it. All things working together for good because we love God and we're the called according to His purpose. How does everything work together for good? Because the very next verse says, you've been predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ and everything in your life, even your kids, even your spouse, even your boss, all of those things are doing what? They're conforming you to the image of Christ by the hand of God. And so sanctification is something that is humanly impossible. And so it's not brought about by us. 
It's brought about by him, and he is excited about it, and he will make sure that it happens. He wants you to be holy. And you'll notice here that Paul references him as the God of peace. You know, I've noticed over the years there are a lot of people, and uh, they seem to be getting sanctified. They stay away from sin, and they do it because they're scared. They do it because they're afraid. They do it because they are terrified of God. In other words, there seems to be in a lot of people's heart a dread of God. I want to ask you a question. Go back and think about the birth of Jesus Christ. What did the angels say? Glory to God in the highest. That's where it all starts. Peace on earth and goodwill toward men, right? The words that they always would give when they would show up is, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. Now, the Bible does command us to fear God, but it doesn't command us to have a dread of God. It doesn't command us that we are to be terrified or terrorized by God because Paul said here, this God who is working on you, this God who is sanctifying you, this God who is correcting you, this God who is taking things out of your life that are unprofitable, this God who is walking with you through the valley of the shadow of death and other trials, he wants to give you not dread, but peace. And so many times we're afraid of what God's going to do as if he's going to do us harm as if he's going to hurt us, as if we're going to pay, as if he's going to clobber us. I've told you before, for a, lot, a long part of my life, I had the idea that God was standing with his back toward me like this, saying, give me a reason, give me a reason. And about the time I'd mess up, he would turn around and go, to the moon, you know, and clobber me. Well, I found out that's not the way God is. If God is for us, who can be against us? This is a God who walks with us. This is a God who wants you to succeed in holiness. This is a God who wants you to be fruitful. This is a God who wants you to be blessed because you've already been blessed with all spiritual blessings. He wants you to be able to cash in on that. This is a God who loves you so much that he has prepared a place for you in heaven so that where he is, there you may be also. This is the God who is waiting to bring you to himself. And this is a God who is excited about you overcoming sin. This is a God who is pleased whenever you take a step in the right direction. And this is the God who causes that to happen. So, humanly impossible, but it's not impossible for God. Those habits can be broken. Maybe you can't, but God can. Maybe those things you know you need to put in your life, you never can seem to get them there. You can't, but He can. And this is the time when we need to really trust in the Lord. And this is the kind of thing that we need to understand. He doesn't leave your Christian life up to you. He is involved in it. He is making it happen. And He'll do whatever is necessary. Now... Do we have any part in this? Yeah, we can cooperate or we can rebel. And if we rebel, the Lord said, sorry, you're not going to get away with it. This is going to happen. And he'll do whatever's necessary to bring us where we need to be. And he's doing it out of love, but he'll get as severe as he needs to be. Or 
if we cooperate with him and we're living for his glory and looking to his glory and we're wanting to be obedient, we want him to work in our life and we want his discipline, we welcome his discipline in our lives, then guess what happens? We, as we are conformed, it's much quicker and it's much easier, a much easier process as you go through it. So my question would be today, God is working in you if you're a believer. That is not a question. He is working. He is making you fruitful. Now, is it going to be a tough job? Or is it going to be something that you welcome and you cooperate with Him and be much easier than it would be? That's the thing that you have to do with your attitude about the whole thing. And the fact that God would care enough to work in your life and my life, that's something that is very affirming. And uh, it is something that is very assuring. This is the promise. God is working in your life to make you what he wants you to be. And that is conformed to the image of Christ and to live with him in heaven forever and ever. But you can't do that. You can't save yourself and you can't sanctify yourself. That's why you need to go to the Lord and go to his word because it will do its holy sanctifying work. Number two. Paul says that sanctification is not just for quote-unquote Sunday. You know, we all know how to be holy because we do it at church. And there are words that people will say on the job or in their home that they never say in the church building. You know, so we look around, well, I just couldn't help what I said. Well, you did this morning, and you did around the people of God. So that means you can control it at home. That means you can control it anywhere else you are. But the problem is we think that there are Sunday words, and then there are weekday words. We think that there are Sunday actions. Well, I would never have sex outside of marriage on a Sunday. Oh, that's the Lord's day. I would never do that in the church building. Oh, that's God's house. No, you're God's house, and every day belongs to the Lord, and you are to glorify Him all the time. Why would you think it would not be acceptable here, but it would be acceptable somewhere else? And the reason is because a lot of us compartmentalize things, and we have our Sunday best, and that's not just our clothes. It's our actions. It's our thoughts. We sing the right music on Sunday, but not the rest of the week. We talk about the right things on Sunday, but not the rest of the week. We read and study the right book on Sunday, but not the rest of the week. And so we're kind of a Sunday child and a Sunday saint, I guess you would say, that doesn't carry through. Well, Paul refutes that, and he goes, nope. That's not the way it's supposed to be because you're not supposed to hold one day as holier than another or one place as holier than another. You're holy because God redeemed you and you are holy because God lives in you. You, in fact, are the temple. You, in fact, are the house of God and you are to glorify Him. So Paul says, may He sanctify you and he uses that word completely. Sanctification is progressive. You're not where you ought to be. You haven't arrived yet. you still got a ways to go. But you're getting there step by step, day by day, situation by situation. And it started the moment you were saved. And you're taking steps. Some of them big giant leaps. Some of them are baby steps. Some of them are like Neil Armstrong. May not be all that impressive until you consider the situation. You know, Neil Armstrong took better steps than uh, that on earth, but the fact that he did it on the moon enabled him to say, 
One small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. You know, there are some times where the victories in your life don't look big, but considering where you've been and considering who you are, they are huge. And sometimes the little victories are life-changing, direction-changing victories that uh, uh, God is glorified through, and He uses them in greater ways than we ever could imagine. And so it continues until the day we die. And the Greek word translated completely, it uh, sometimes is translated perfectly. And uh, it it's, means all. And it means that every part of your life is to be sanctified. Okay, It's not just, well, as long as your doctrine's right, you can live any way you want to live and do whatever you want to do. That's nowhere found in Scripture. It's not just as long as you go to church on Sunday. Well, then the rest of the week is yours to do whatever kind of perverted stuff you want to do. That's nowhere found in the Bible. It's not found anywhere in the Bible that as long as you give a certain percentage of your money, the rest of it you can do anything you want to with. No, because you are not your own. You are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and spirit, which are the Lord's. Everything. God is working on everything in your life. Well, I have some family traits that have been passed down. God wants to work on those. Well, I have some things in my life that, I mean, they've been there for so long, I don't know how to ever overcome them. Well, you can't, but He can. And that's where He's working, and He's working in every part of your life. And that's why the frustrations come up, whether you're in school whether you're on the job, whether it's with a neighbor, whether it's with your husband or wife, whether it's with your siblings, whatever it may be, because that's where you live. And God says, I want to sanctify every part that touches you and every part that you touch someone else. I want it to be holy. And so he's teaching you. So don't take it lightly and don't forget about it. Don't chalk it up to just a coincidence or just something that happens. And don't point the finger and just blame other people. This is about God. And this is about God working in you and working in you to make you what He wants you to be like Christ. So He works on that temper problem. And He works on that language problem. He works on that lust problem. He works on that discontented problem. He works on that greed problem. He works on that depression problem. He works on all of those things. God is working in all of those things to heal us, to strengthen us, to give us the ability to see things His way and to live for His glory. And thirdly, you'll notice that sanctification is total. These two points kind of overlap because these verses do. And may your whole spirit, whole soul, and whole body be preserved. And look at that next word. You might want to circle it. Blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's going to happen. He's going to change you. And at the moment when Christ comes, Paul said in 1 Corinthians and also in 1 Thessalonians that we are going to be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye and we're going to receive a new body and we're going to be glorified. Process completed. The work finished. Done. Completed. When we think about Jesus, He's always good at finishing what He starts. So He comes to earth 
into Mary's womb. He's born in Bethlehem. He's raised as a child. He launches his ministry. He suffers all kinds of differing persecutions, even his own family thinking that he was a lunatic. And yet he does it without sin. And he does it so he can go to the cross. And while he's hanging on the cross, even there, he fulfills prophecy. And then he comes to a point to where he says, it is finished. One word in the Greek, tetelestai, right? Debt is paid, finished. It, it could be, have you ever thought of it like this? Jesus hanging on the cross, bearing the wrath of God in your place, and then he goes, completed. That was the end. There wasn't any reason for him to be there anymore, and he dies. Three days later, he's raised from the dead. Forty days later, he goes to be seated at the right hand of God the Father, where he is today, ruling and reigning, praying for us, advocating for us as an attorney, until the time comes when he returns to earth, to receive us, and then later, pardon me, to rule and reign as King of kings and Lord of lords. And guess what? He always finishes what he starts. He does it, we say, perfectly. That means everything is done. Well, that's what he's doing in your life, every part of you. You see, in your uh, body, soul, and spirit, think about it like this. He's sanctifying the part that other people see. You can't see my soul. You can't see my spirit, but you see my body. And you could see my body if I were drunk, laying in a gutter. You could see that. If I were slapping my wife around, you could see that. If I were getting in a fight somewhere with somebody, you could see that. Okay? The body is the part that you see. What did Paul say? He wants to sanctify wholly your body. You have actions that are not right. You have habits that are not right. You have things in your life to where you are stumbling other people. They're using you as an excuse not to serve God. And God is saying, I myself will take care of that whole body. What about your whole soul? Well, your soul, if we think about that as uh, the suke, we get our word psychology from that. Let's think about our soul. The soul is the part of me that you can't see. An immaterial part. It's personality. It's my mind, what I think. It's my will, what I choose. And my emotions, what I feel. Did you know God cares about those things? And so he's sanctifying you in your soul. So that you can start thinking right. Instead of making the same dumb mistakes over and over and over and over. And getting trapped and trapped and trapped and trapped. And saying, oh, why do I always do this? When is this ever going to end? God says, you're not following me. I'm going to sanctify you in your body and in your soul. All of it. I'm going to change the way not only that you think. I'm going to change the way that you choose things. Your value system is going to change. Some things you thought, I just have to have that and I can't live without that. Or if I get that, oh, I'll be so cool and everybody will like me and it'll be so great and my life will be so happy. God says, no, we're going we're gonna to work on that so that you start choosing what is wise and you start choosing what is profitable. You start choosing what God values and your decision making is completely different. He said, I'm going to change you in your emotions, the way that you feel. 
And you know, there are some of you that feel way too good about yourself this morning. And there are some of you that feel way too bad about yourself. And God said, you know, whatever extreme it may be, I can humble those who are proud and I can lift up those who are of a broken heart. You know, the Bible tells us that those who exalt themselves, what's going to happen to them? They're going to be humbled. But those who humble themselves are going to be exalted. Isn't that something? So he's going to bring it all together. Mind, will, emotions. He is making all of that holy and acceptable to him and for your good, by the way. And so he's going to do it in our body and in our soul and then in our spirit. Now, with the moment you got saved, you received a new nature. You received a spirit, a new spirit. You were spiritually alive and the Holy Spirit came to live within you. Well, what could be wrong with that? Here's the answer. Nothing. That is perfect. Your new nature does not want to sin. Your new nature has the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome anything. Our problem is we live out of our soul. We live out of our feelings. We live out of our desire to be the chooser. I'll be sovereign. I'll choose, right? And all of that. But when we learn to let the Holy Spirit dominate our lives and live out of that new nature, then the Holy Spirit is informing our soul. And it the Spirit is controlling how we think, how we choose, and how we feel. And then the soul begins to dominate the body. And all of a sudden the body is able to act properly, to live properly, to do properly. And uh, all of that comes together. That's what God is working on. And He is working to improve your relationship and your walk with Him and your understanding of Him so all of that can take place. And so you're going to be preserved. God is keeping you. God's not going to let you fall away in spite of your sin and in spite of you so that when He comes again, you will go with Him to heaven. You will have that place in heaven that He has prepared for you and you will be a perfected person. I don't want to go to heaven the way that I am. I'm glad I'm going to be changed. I'm glad my perspective, I'm glad that I'm going to be changed to have a glorified body. I'm glad that I'm going to be changed, that I'm going to have the mind of Christ and I'm going to know even as I am known. I'm going to understand the will and the plan and the purpose of God and say that He does all things well. And in my spirit I will rejoice and worship forever unrestrained to the God who deserves it all. Because I couldn't do that now. And if I went to heaven the way that I am right now, if I went to heaven at the very best that I am while I'm here on earth, I would contaminate heaven. I would contaminate the worship. I would contaminate the joy. I would contaminate all of that. And by the time a day was over, there'd be depression and there would be sin and there would be just the whole thing tainted. That's why God says, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's why he has to save us. That's why he sanctifies us. And that's why he glorifies us when he takes us to heaven. You're going to love it. And he's going to change you 
so that you're not going to be like you are right now, bored and down and all of that. You're going to be loving it because you are going to be changed, and that's because you're going to be found blameless when he comes. And again, that's not because of anything you do. That's because of the perfect sacrifice of Christ that paid for all of your sins and made you acceptable unto the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Listen to this. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's what your future is. That's what's happening in your life right now. It's already on the record books. Now it's being made real in your life. And one day you will experience it forever. Someone said to, one, to me one time, I don't like the Apostle Paul. I said, well, why not? And I said, he's arrogant. I said, arrogant? How do you say that? Well, anybody that could say that he is the righteousness of God in Christ, who does he think he is? Well, that's a good question. Who does he think he is? Who do you think you are? Because that's what the Bible says. Well, you know what we think we are? Children of God, whose sins have been paid for in full by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Children of God, imperfect, broken sinners with scars and bruises all over us, and yet forgiven by Christ because he died in our place and he paid our sin debt in full and gave us his righteousness. Now, that's not a neat, unique theory that I came up with. That's what it says in 2 Corinthians, that we might be the righteousness of of God in Christ. Do you see yourself that way? Do you realize that? Do you realize that's how God looks at you? Do you realize that is what is on your record book? The righteousness of God in Christ? So when I think of that, I think about how wonderful that is because I could never do that for myself, which would take us back to point one, wouldn't it? It's humanly impossible, but all things are possible with God. And then this guarantee that when the Lord returns, this is going to happen, reminds me of Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will <clears throat> complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Boy, that's good to be able to have that. Last point. Sanctification then, again, an overlap, it's guaranteed. It's not a might happen, hope it happens, cross your fingers, knock on wood that it happens. God says this is going to take place because of him. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. Okay, we're just about done, but get this into your heart. Get this into your mind, get this in your spirit. This was all started by God. Romans chapter 8, verse 29. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. And whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. <clears throat> Isn't it weird that he wrote all of those in past tense? Because in the mind of God, it's as good as done. Because he's not going to let you or any other believer slip through the cracks. 
It is going to be done. You are going to be like Jesus and with him forever. It's also that we are kept by God. In the first verse of the book of Jude, it says, Judah, bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified, there's our word, by God the Father, see, it's of God, even Jude says that, and preserved are kept in Jesus Christ. And that is the security of the believer. God will not abandon you and he will do everything he promised and you are kept by him because you're in his hand how about this we're loved by God how do I know God loves me Hebrews chapter 12 verse 5 my son do not despise the chastening of the Lord nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him for whom the Lord loves he chastens can I ask you a question does God discipline you when you sin or do you just sin and it's no big deal? And you don't care and you assume God doesn't care because he didn't strike you by lightning or anything like that. You probably are not saved if that's the case. Because the Bible says those he has saved. Every son of God, he chastens, he disciplines, he is training you. He is getting that sin out of your life and teaching you what to do. And uh, he says, going on in verse 9, We all had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more gladly be in subjection to the Father of spirits, that means God, and live? For they indeed did it for a few days. They chastened us, as seemed best to them. But he, for our profit, that we may be partakers with his holiness." Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful, right? Nevertheless, here's a promise. Afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So is the Lord training you? That's a sign of his love. When you sin and can't get away with it, that's a sign of his love. When he is correcting you and taking sin out of your life and teaching you how to walk, that's because he loves you. And then we find that we're also confirmed by God because Jesus said in John 14, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you and I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. And down in verse 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And so we went through this thing of starting off with what we were predestined to be all the way down to where we were kept and all the way down to how we are loved and disciplined. And then Jesus even confirms it by saying, look, I'm going to heaven to prepare a place for you so you can be with me. It's the ironclad guarantee of the Lord. So my question is, number one, are you indeed saved? Because none of this applies to you if you're not saved. If you're not saved, you're going to die and you're going to spend an eternity in hell. I don't want that, and I'm hoping you don't want that either. And if you don't want that, that's because God changed your mind about it. 
And uh, I would call on you today to repent of your sins and to believe the gospel that Christ died on the cross to pay for your sins in full and you are putting your faith totally in Him today, repenting of your sins and submitting to Him. Okay, so that's first. If you're not saved, uh, you need to get saved. Number two, Christians, are you cooperating with the Lord and His discipline or are you fighting it? Are you like the two-year-old that's being drugged by his arm by a frustrated mama at Six Flags? Or are you like the respectful older child who says, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, and you follow along with whatever the plan is? Because God does this for your good, and he does it because he loves you, and he does it because he wants you to be able to glorify him to the max, okay? little 80s expression there. And uh, he does that in your life in whichever way he has to. He loves you just the way you are, but he loves you too much to let you stay that way. You need to grow. You need to be holy. And Paul prays this prayer, and he prays it because, as we've seen, it's based upon Scripture, and Scripture reveals the will of God, and you will accomplish the will of God. There's not going to be empty, any empty plates at the table. There's not going to be anything left undone. And God will do everything He promised to do in you and through you by Himself for your glory, or for His glory and for your good, okay? And it's just a matter of whether we're going to understand that and live by that and go with it or whether we are going to fight it and uh, buck it all the way because that's when things kind of get dicey. May God give us, as we prayed earlier, minds to comprehend, ears to hear, and above all, hearts to be able to obey the Lord Jesus Christ. Could we pray together? Heavenly Father, as we conclude this, we thank you, Lord, that you don't give up on us. We thank you that you don't abandon us and leave us on the side of the road. You don't leave us like a toy that's been tossed aside, broken in the toy box. You don't leave us for somebody else to come along and get us. We are called and kept and loved and disciplined, all of this by you. Thank you for that, Lord. And thank you for the promise that you will finish what you have started in us. May we be cooperative with that instead of fighting it, kicking and screaming all the way. You're so good to us. Why would we ever, ever stand against anything or try to stand against anything that you would do. Thank you, Lord, for your work in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.